Welcome, Covenant Church. My name is Wayne Park, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of this congregation. By the way, uh, I was looking at Bobby there. He looks like those guys in the circus uh, that are playing 12 things at once, and there's more. Wait till the special song after the, ser- after the sermon. There's more. Um, all to say that, you know, with, I think we're running at less than 50% today. A lot of people out for the long weekend, and usually the worship team is full here. And you kind of had to do it all on your own today. So you took everybody's roles and you mashed them into one. It's wonderful, delightful. Um, we have a good team here, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Um, thank you for starting us off on the right note with gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. The funny thing is it's Thanksgiving, and... Essentially, it's about an attitude of gratitude, and oftentimes that is the first thing that goes out the window. I mean, we are grateful, but then it is also a time, uh, the holiday season can be one, as Bobby prayed, with a lot of stress. It's bittersweet. There's ups and downs uh, to the holiday season. So reminding ourselves, this Sunday morning, you're here at church. You're away from your in-laws, <laughs> your extended family. <laughs> you're toge- we're together here. Um, in a spirit of love and gratitude. Um, We're not going to talk about work this week uh, for the rest of the Advent season. Actually, leading up until today, we've been talking through a series about faith and work, about vocation. But we're going to put that on pause because Advent, the Advent season begins today. The first Sunday after Thanksgiving is always the first Sunday of Advent. So actually, it's a welcome break, uh, change of pace for me to not uh, talk about that. We'll come back to the work series in January, and uh, along with the reframe course, which we've been viewing in our small groups, that will also continue. Uh, at least the viewing of the videos will continue in January. But for the rest of this year, the remainder of this year, we're going to look at the lectionary passages that are assigned to churches worldwide, and we're going to get into the rhythm of Advent, the rhythm of waiting for the coming of the Christ child, the rhythm of rest, the rhythm of patience, the rhythm of waiting. And that begins today with Advent, the first Sunday of Advent. Um, we, would, we would have our Advent, cal- our Advent candle set up here, four candles, and then in the center is the Christ candle, but last year we got in trouble because you're not allowed to open, you're not allowed to have open fires uh, in the school, but uh, it is the first Sunday of Advent. I'm going to look through our lectionary passages, and what we're going to do is we're going to have some time to breathe, some time to reflect, and some time to listen. And I'm going to open us up with Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. And as I make our way through several Advent passages, several passages that are thematically thematically brought together to get us in the season of waiting... I'm going to lead us through four reflections on these passages. And if you look in your notes, you're going to find four reflections in your your notes that we're going to walk through and reflect. The first is sobriety. The second is escalation. The third is idealism. And fourth is relationship. Sobriety, escalation, idealism, and relationship. Four Advent reflections this Sunday morning. Listen to the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And I'd like you to close your eyes. Sometimes we receive information better, more effectively when we just listen. Do this, knowing the time 
that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That's Romans 13, 11 to 14. You can open your eyes. Now, you wonder why this passage is assigned to the first Sunday in Advent, and I think I know the answer. The reason is because it is during this season uh, that it is most difficult for us to live this way, as we just read. In other words, that's the first reflection, sobriety. This first passage of the year, this first uh, Advent Sunday, calls us to a life that's lived soberly. Not in drunkenness, not in dissension, not in carousing, not in promiscuity and sensuality, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the armor of light, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I want to tell you about um, um, some friends of mine. I have a couple of friends that are recovering alcoholics, and from them I hear in their life about the struggle that it takes to stay sober this time of year, beginning with Thanksgiving all the way through to New Year's. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, this month-long span of time uh, is the hardest time of year for people that are in recovery, whether it's from alcohol or drugs or whatnot. It is the hardest time of year for them to stay sober. Why? And from them, I've come to understand that there are a couple of reasons. I mean, one is the obvious um, well, I don't know if it's obvious, depending on what circles you run in, but it's the holiday par- party, it's a company holiday party, drinks, you know, everybody's like, have a beer or, you know, have, a, have some wine with that. It's just part of the, um, it's part of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Conviviality. It's part of the conviviality of life. It's easy to just have a drink. And for true alcoholics or true people in recovery, what happens is the first drink is the beginning of the end. They can't stop at the first drink. So for somebody in recovery, uh, whether it's the first drink or the first puff or the first joint or whatnot, is always the beginning of the end. They cannot, they cannot, they cannot have just one drink. And so what happens is, you know, drinks are getting passed around. What's one drink? And one drink ends up becoming a bender, and the next thing you know, they're falling off the wagon and they're living on the street corner again. Um, That's usually how it is. That's one reason why it's so difficult to stay sober for, for those people this time of year, maybe even for some of you. But that's not the only reason. And this connects to a deeper spiritual experience. The deeper spiritual experience is it's not just that drinks are getting passed around at the holiday company, company holiday party. More so, it's because this is the most painful time of year as well. It's when you're a child, and even for some children, sadly, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But it's also the time of the year where it can be the most bitter, where you grieve the family loss more. 
you grieve the family estrangement. For some reason, everybody's supposed to be together, everybody's supposed to be warm, everybody's supposed to be happy, and yet we just don't look like the happy family in the movies where everybody's putting the tree up together and smiling and we're draping it and the littlest baby gets to put the tree on the, or the star on the top. It, it, it just seems like, and I don't know if you're with me on this, but I relate to this, I don't feel like we're that normal family. Everybody, it does not, I don't know if there is a normal family, truth be told. And that's why many people are led to drink or to whatever their drug of choice is because of the emotional turmoil that goes on this time of year. Now, mind you, it's not about a show of willpower for such persons. It's not about, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. What happens is when you're feeling all alone and it's Christmas Eve again and you're by yourself or you've just had another fight with your loved one or your in-laws are driving you crazy, I promise you, you will drink. You will. We self-sabotage as human beings. You will do whatever it is that harms you the most. The devil likes to come in the most this time of season, and if there is any opening, he'll find a way. And so it's important for us to remain vigilant. My question to you, friends, is not so much, are you an alcoholic or are you in recovery, but more so, can you relate to this experience? You don't have to be a 12-stepper to understand that this is a time of the year where I just need to breathe. This is the time of the year where I have to watch the swinging and the swaying of my emotions. This is the time of the year when I have to see that brother-in-law again. Or this is the time of the year when, you know, so on and so forth. Think about your own lives. And the application that I give to you this morning and the fill in the blank Actually, I'm not going to give you the fill in the blank. You can fill it in for yourself, but it is to come up with a plan, a spiritual program. I am of the opinion that for those people that go through those 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am firmly a believer that it is a spiritual program. Mind you, you know, uh, you, know you, you, you have to surrender your life to a higher power of your choice. But I still do believe that it is a spiritual program that all of us, all of us need. We all need some kind of a spiritual program, some kind of a spiritual discipline to get you through this season. So we need some kind of a spiritual program to get us through this season so that we don't lose it, we don't fall off the wagon, and that we keep our composure, that we maintain our peace, and most importantly, our serenity our serenity and equilibrium during this holiday season. You see, Matthew 24 is the next lectionary passage, and it talks about this. Listen to these words, Matthew 24, verse 36. Of that day and hour nobody knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what the author of Matthew is saying here is watch out lest the flood come. I am, the, I am a firm believer that we reap what we sow. 
And if we continually sow in deeds of darkness, what happens is the flood will eventually come. The flood will come. And in the case of, of uh, Noah, that's what, that's what is being spoken about here. But they didn't understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. That there, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, this is the conclusion. This is how it ties back into this theme of sobriety. Therefore, be on the alert. Be alert. I don't know if even, I mean, the holiday season has just begun. Maybe you've already dropped your guard. Maybe you've already yelled at your children. Or maybe you've already, you know, had some kind of strained relationship. Whatever the case is, be on the alert, for you don't know which day the Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Friends, this is the application. The principle, fill in the blank in your notes, is constant vigilance. Certainly, you don't want your house to be broken into. What's being spoken about here is a spiritual house. We don't want our hearts to be broken into. Constant vigilance, what does that look like is the question. What does constant vigilance and a spiritual program of constant vigilance in my life look like? That's the question for you. You know these three fill-in-the-blanks? What would you put there? Let's say, just think, guys, if you were an alcoholic, and I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe you even are, but whatever the case is, if you were like those people, that if I just take one whiff of that, I'm off the deep end. So therefore, I have to live vigilantly to make sure with constant vigilance, I'm activating a spiritual program and not falling off the wagon. What are those three things that you're going to do? What are the three things that you will do to keep you from losing your temper? or whatever the case may be. What are those three things? Those three things. What are those three things? You know, I believe that our lives, my life is a constant, my life is a constant search of order, a search for order. I, I don't know if you relate to that, but I'm always looking for some regular pattern in my life. I hate it. I hate it when my patterns get messed up. That's one of the reasons why I don't like the holidays. Because I was going well. Tuesday to, Tuesday to you know, you know my, my work day begins on Tuesday, my work week. Everything has a rhythm. Everything has a flow. You know, I, I do well when I'm sleeping, those set times. And then when everything gets off, that's when I get irritable. That's when I, I, I am more prone to things. And this rule of life, what is that rule of life that we look for in these one, two, three? What are the, what, what's your rule of life? What is my rule of life? You know, uh, a while back, I had an opportunity to visit a Benedictine monastery. I know we're not Catholics here, but we could learn a lot from them. And um, when I was at this monastery, I observed these monks um, living according to what they call the rule of life. They have something called a rule of life, which is basically guidelines for how a Benedictine should live. And it dictates everything from what they wear to the hours that they sleep 
and pray regularly. They pray set hours every day, even to their life possessions. Even to the very end when they die, these people uh, own very little. They live by this rule of life. What is your rule of life is a question. What are the hours? What are the set times that you're seeking God? What are the disciplines? At this season in my life, I feel in some ways like, I, like a, a, I'm trying to emulate that, what I observed at the Benedictine Monastery, this rule of life. For me, that involves, at times, very rigorous practices, very rigorous practices. And some of these rigorous practices are honesty, that there are a group of men with whom I have to be completely and 100% honest, not 99.9%. I have to be completely honest with It involves, to some degree, abstinence. I have to practice abstinence in certain parts of my life. Accountability. It involves regular meditation. I have to begin my day with meditation on some scripture, and I have to end my day every day with some kind of inventory or examination. We learned about a year ago, if you remember, the prayer of examine. Very, very useful. I still do that every night. Not every night, but... That's the rhythm of my life. You know, and I come, I, 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 you know, the holiday season rolls around, your schedule gets messed up, but you always come back to that regular rhythm, that order. You know, this is kind of a long-winded first heading, but sobriety is that important. I believe that um, the lectionary passages start us off on this theme for a reason. But we continue with Isaiah chapter 2. More passages, there are other passages assigned for this Sunday. Listen to these words, and I'm going to invite you once again to clear your palate, close your eyes, and I'm going to change gears on us now. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 1 to 5. Listen to the word. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And listen to this. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. You can open your eyes. This passage, I think, connects to the previous two lectionary passages in challenging us, come, let's go to the house of the Lord and walk in His ways. How we walk. The Jewish word for walk is halak. And their entire law is called the halakha, which means the way to walk. For Jewish people, they also observe a very, very rigorous rule of life. So much so that they have an entire system of laws. And we Christians, we're always criticizing them for being legalistic. But they are living an ordered life. Very rigorously, the way to walk, the halakha, this is the way to walk. 
and they live their lives, this passage calls us to walk in the ways of the, in the light of the Lord. It calls us to walk in the light of the Lord. What does it mean for us to walk in the light of the Lord this season? Not just this holiday season, but um, this political season. And I'm going to comment on this. We are on the verge of... This is the first political statement I'm making, I realize. We're on the verge of the inauguration of the new president-elect Donald Trump. Is that correct? Has, it, has the inauguration taken place? It has not taken place yet. So we're on the verge of a whole new world order. <laughs> and somebody, um, um, somebody in this congregation, at least one person, asked me, why aren't you saying anything about the, polit- about the, about the election, voting, and how, what we should do? And probably it's because I'm a little bit nervous <laughs> about broaching that subject, especially here in Texas. Um, but I'm going to say something today, so get ready. <laughs> um, you know, silence is an easy option, but I think more than silence, what we need is spoken sanity. What we need is spoken sanity. And I never thought in, my, in all of my years <laughs> that spoken sanity would come from the mouth of Glenn Beck. But Glenn Beck said something recently that I think really, um, really, really impressed me. He said this, I want to meet with any non-political thought leaders on the left who are sincere and honest in their beliefs. And just listen. I don't want to convince or to change anyone's mind. And when they can tell me, yes, that is how I feel, we can begin a dialogue. I will listen with my heart as if I was speaking to my spouse, child, or friend. We are so divided. I, didn't, I wasn't conscious enough in the 70s or the 60s. I wasn't even born in the 60s. I don't know what it was like back then. But this seems to be the most divided time in our American history that I can ever think of. I feel like we're on the verge of another, dare I say it, I won't. But we are so divided that I feel like the country is at each other's throats. And this is the second reflection that I have, and I'll kind of go quickly through the remainder. The first was the longest part. The second reflection is escalation, escalation, escalation. And I'm hearing about the protests that are going on around the country. I'm hearing for a recount of the vote. People are asking for a recount. And friends, I'm shaking my head. I'm saying it's not worth it. Protest, recount. All of this stuff, um, don't go there. And I know that as a, public, as a public person, you know, even with this message being, you know, podcasted and everything, the message at large is escalation is not going to help us. And protesting the election and looking for a recount, all that business, it's not worth it. What I'm talking about is essentially something called escalation. In marriage, this is what I've discovered, and I'm going to tie this in if you follow closely. In marriage, when I don't get what I want from my wife, I might raise my voice. But if I raise my voice this time, what happens is next time it gives her permission to raise her voice just a little bit louder. 
And if she raises her voice just a little bit louder next time, the next time, darn it, I'm slamming the door. And if I slam the door next time, it gives her the permission next time to maybe just, I don't know, break a dish? You're like, whoa, that just upped the ante. Well, you don't know what I'm going to do next time, right? Because after that, I can punch a hole in the wall or I can do something. Now, friends, what, we're, what are we talking about here but escalation? Now, you're all looking at me and you're like, wow, they've got problems, but this is Thanksgiving. You have problems too, I know it. And this whole principle of escalation, and it took me, for crying out loud, 14 years of marriage to learn this, is that how I behave will dictate how my loved ones behave as well. And if I escalate, that will escalate the whole thing. This will continually escalate things. That's why when I hear that people are unhappy about not getting their way and that they want to protest the vote and that they want to demand a recount, I'm shaking my head because I'm saying, friends, that's exactly what happened eight years ago. It happened four years ago. If you do this, it's going to give the other side, it's going to embolden the other side to escalate and take it to the next level, the, the next election cycle. Escalation as a principle, what we're talking about in the church here, you can see I'm not making a political statement. I'm talking about heart matters. Escalation will not help us. Whether you are on the left or on the right, red or blue, Escalation, in the end, will harm your neighbor and will harm yourself. Don't gloat either if you got your way. Don't gloat either. But if you didn't get your way, don't escalate because that just gives the other side an opportunity to take it to the next level next time around. Do you hear the words of Isaiah? What will they do, the people of God, but hammer their swords into plowshares? What is a life of de-escalation but taking every sharp object that you have in the house? I don't mean this literally, guys, right? But every sharp weapon that you have in your arsenal. I could just say this and that would just, or I could just do that and that would get the point across. Or I could, don't say it. That's probably the best advice somebody gave me. If you're having an argument with your wife and you've got the perfect thing to say, don't say it. Don't use it. Don't even, don't even bring it out. Because what we're doing is we're taking the sharpest objects in our arsenals and we're hammering them into plowshares. Our spears that we regularly use to jab at people, we turn them into pruning hooks. So instead of a life of escalation, we live lives of de-escalation. This I've been learning too. I don't want to make you think that I live, you know, just a horrific life, but I've also been learning de-escalation. And I want to continue on this theme, this political theme, and talk about the third reflection, idealism. Briefly, I want to talk about idealism because I know that there are a lot of young people in this nation that, and I, I understand because I, I, I was young not that long ago, you know, uh, I think in our younger years, we live so much on principle and so much on ideals and we're saying, I have to protest this because I'm right. And the thing is, you might even be right. 
You might even be right. But in the process of being right, you can lose the person. You can lose the argument just by the way you argued. Does that make sense? Even in the process of being right, yes, you're right, but the way you conveyed your ideal, the way you conveyed, I know I'm right, I know I'm right, not only can you lose the argument, you can lose your own, you can lose an ally, you can lose self-understanding. If we get stuck on our ideals, but I'm right, and that means I have to be right, if we get stuck on this, in the end, we, we can lose the entire thing. Friends, there is something more important than ideals, in my opinion. Yes, there is truth, there is right, but I think that there is something that trumps, you know, pun in, no pun intended, something that trumps ideals, and that's relationship. The more important thing than ideals is relationship. You have somebody you disagree with. Can you win that person over? You have somebody that you disagree with. Is it possible to understand that person? I feel like I've gotten a lesson in this because I lived in the most blue, most left part of the country before I came to Texas six, seven years ago. Now, it's like going from blue to red. It's like I'm seeing everything in, in 3D, one blue eye and one red eye. Because I understand both sides now. I understand why people are the way they are there and why people are the way we are here. And so, idealism and getting stuck on our ideals, I think, is dangerous. But this leads to the fourth and last reflection. Relationship is the most important thing. This is where we must arrive, relationship. You know, I don't want to, um, I'm, you know, I don't want to go much longer here, but... I want to wrap things up. Um, if any of you have ever read, if you, any of you have ever read the book Ender's Game, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Ender's Game is a science fiction novel. I'm sure you've read it. Military people have read it. Did you read it? I think it's like required reading for Marines. But anyway, that's besides the point. The whole premise of Ender's Game, I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? But the whole premise of Ender's Game, well, it's not, it's not really a spoiler, so don't worry. But the whole premise of it is a boy understanding his enemy and a boy who's able to overcome his enemy. And he says this, he says this line, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy and understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not to love them the way they love themselves. In other words, relationship brings us to this place where you understand somebody so well, you'll understand why they behave the way they do. You'll understand why they vote the way they do, why they believe the way they do. If you truly understand why somebody pulled a certain lever this past election cycle, then you're at a place where you truly understand somebody and that then you're able to love them. And so I finish with Psalm 122. As we come to this place together of relationship, hear these words as I conclude with this psalm. It is calling us, Democrats, Republicans, blue, red, conservative, liberal, at this time and this holiday season to come together, joining hands, in-laws, children, 
friends, enemy, and as we join hands together to come up to the house of the Lord. Close your eyes as I conclude with these last words from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, in ordinance for Israel. And why do we go up? We go up to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there thrones were set for judgment, thrones of the house of David, And here we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And may peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers, my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. Everybody say with your eyes closed, may peace be within you. One more time, may peace be within you. May peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your good. Pray at this time or just breathe or just reflect. Take these words and pray it for the last person you want to see on earth. Pray it for this holiday season. Pray it for your loved ones or the ones that you try to love. Peace be within you. May peace be within you. I will seek your good. I will seek your good. May peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Lord, make these words a mantra on our lips now for this holiday season. May we go forth from this place daily and continually speaking those words, muttering them under our breath when we're stuck in holiday traffic or when somebody says that inappropriate comment while they're passing the cranberry sauce. Or whatever the case may be, we say it now. This community says it now. May peace be within you. And I will seek your good. So Lord, we commit this season to you. We pray that you would keep us, that you would guard us, that you would watch over us that you would protect us. And Lord, as we break bread today and celebrate communion for this first Advent Sunday, may the nourishment that we receive at this table give us the strength that we need. We thank you, Lord. We wait for you now. In Jesus' name.
Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.